Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Um, Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these wonderful people. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and to join, to be a part of a community, to be a part of a family. Father, I ask you that you would create just a connection and a warmth between the members of this family. Father, I come against division right now, the division that has been released in our nation. We know that it is a demonic thing that the enemy has designed to divide our nation, to divide families, to divide congregations, to divide workplaces, to divide people groups. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name that your love would pour out on us. Your love would pour out in us, Father, and that you would release a supernatural healing through us everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we carry your healing. We carry your restoration. We carry your spirit of unity. Jesus, you prayed your number one prayer, your last prayer, your last prayer with your disciples was make them one as the Father and I are one. Father, would you bring unity to your house, unity to our churches, unity to our city. In the name of Jesus, we come against this demonic division and we ask you to unify us. We humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I um, can't help but feel a tremendous anointing in this place. That word anointing, uh, it literally means to smear is what the word means. It's about God's presence. When the priest in the Old Testament would anoint, they would smear with oil, and the oil had this powerful and pungent smell that would fill the room, and it represented the presence of God, the oil of God being poured out on your life that was a tangible thing. And I feel like this, for whatever reason, I feel like there's something very significant God wants to do in this service. I don't exactly know what it is. I don't um, know if I can put my finger on it because the word that he's given me is very multifaceted. And what I learned years ago from my pastor, uh, Pastor Mike Hayes, changed my life forever. He said, when the voice of God speaks... The Bible says it's like the sound of many waters. The sound of many waters. And what that means is God can say one thing in one moment and you hear exactly what you need to hear and you hear exactly what you need to hear and you hear exactly what you need to hear and you hear exactly what you need to hear. God has the ability to release a word and the Bible says that Jesus is the one who has the word that sustains the weary. And as Pastor Josh was mentioning that there are people, maybe you've come in this place and you're weary, you're just worn slick. Life can wear you out. And God has the word for you today. I don't know which part it will be. I don't know what segment it will be. But I want you with all my heart just to open your faith. Those of you that are watching online, I want you to open your faith. Don't turn off this broadcast. Stay in this moment because I believe with all my heart, God is going to release a word to you today that's going to be life-changing. Amen? Amen. Father, do your thing. Do your thing. Um, Have you ever had one of those weeks You ever had one of those months <laughs> where everything just hits the fan, right? You, you ever said, surely nothing else could go wrong? 
and then you forgot to find wood to knock on, not that we believe in that or anything, but just in case. And sure enough, something else goes wrong. Jennifer and I have had times where it gets comical. We just have to laugh or we'll cry. You know, and, and honestly, we've been in a little bit of a weird season uh, lately where you just feel worn slick, right? You just feel like, could, it just, I mean, we, we, we have literally three cars all going in and out of the shop at the exact same time, right? Multiple situations. You know, anybody own a home? You ever had everything break all at once, right? It's not just, can't just be one thing. How about at work? Is It's never just one problem, right? It's when it rains, it pours. And it can become extremely overwhelming at time. And at times, and when, when we go into those modes, we typically go into a mo- what I would call survival mode. Survival mode. And survival mode is when you're just trying to batten down the hatches and just make it through. It's like there's a hurricane going on. And, and you know, and, or, or when a couple of years ago when we had the big freeze and, you know, it was two years back to back, we had those crazy freezes. I don't know what global warming happened, but it didn't happen here that winter. But for crying out loud, we had all kinds of stuff going on. And, and, and one city was completely shut down and iced in and whatever. And we, we were, we were totally fine. And the next year, uh, other city was totally fine and we were completely iced in. And, you know, I'm, I'm running a gas generator uh, just outside of my garage with electrical cords coming in for two days, making chili in an Instapot and running a coffee maker off a generator. And I'm trying to pretend it's camping. Uh, Jennifer was not having anywhere near as much fun um, as I was, right? But, but it's, it's just, man, life can get crazy at times and you're just trying to hold on. And survival mode is selfish. Not intentionally, but you're just trying to survive, so you're pulling everything in close. Uh, I have a, a friend that um, years ago adopted a baby from Russia from an orphanage. And, and it was a, you know, a, probably a two-year-old or so when they, when they got the little baby. And the baby, uh, when, they came, when it came, they, they, they had abundance. They had plenty. They had, there, were no, there was no lack in their house. But this little baby would hide food all over the place. Because where that baby came from, she never knew when she'd eat again. And so when there was food, she would hide it and store it and cubby it away and, and just kind of squirrel stuff here and there and they would find hidden food all over the place because she was trying to survive. We can get in those kind of seasons in our lives. We can have those kind of years. Guys, I think some people can have those kind of decades. Just, it just seems like nothing comes together. You're always scrounging, always scrapping. And, and the problem is this whole concept of God being first, when we go into survival mode, it's our default that we come first because we're just trying to survive. That's a default. You have to choose to step outside of yourself and be very intentional about not being selfish when you're going through a survival season because it's just natural. Does that make sense? Last week we talked about how this idea of God being first, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. It's a demand. It's not optional in God's eyes. He's either first and he's God or he's not. It is something he's very serious about. He established it in the Garden of Eden. He established it, the very first commandment of his 10 commandments is you'll have no other gods before me. The second one is you'll have no other idols. You'll worship no other things. He's very jealous, he says. 
He has to be first. He doesn't share. But he made us in his image. And in his image, we're like him. And we have a natural desire to want to be first. And God made us like that on purpose. He made us and put us in a state of conflict on purpose because he wants to be loved by someone that chooses to love him. He makes everything in creation to do what he tells it to do. But for us, he gave us choice. And he wants to be your first love. He wants to be your first choice. He wants to be first. And when we put him first, it triggers something in his life, in, in, in his life, in his experience with us, but it triggers something that pours out on us in a beautiful way. Uh, this last uh, few weeks have been pretty challenging. I've had a lot of stuff going on. There's been chaos with our kids. There's been chaos. We went through a season with uh, Jen's health over the summer. Uh, vacation didn't feel like vacation. She had about 10 weeks of recovery. It was a challenging time and just, you can get worn out. And then, you know, last week was a challenge. We had one of my friends and a member of the church died suddenly, uh, 55 years old. It's not supposed to happen. It's hard other chaotic things going on, all kinds of stuff happening. And, and I was in a season where I've had a number of people that have reached out saying, pastor, I'm just praying for you. I'm just praying for you. And I'm like, pray for my mind because I've got so much stuff stirring that I'm having a hard time. I feel like it's a struggle to hear God because there's just so much chaos going on in life. I, I heard a worship song this morning, um, not here, not in our church, but on a playlist that my wife was playing and I don't like it. And I don't want to sing it. It was this song called Refiner from uh, Maverick City. And it has a line, I want to be tried by fire. You take whatever you desire. I don't want to ever sing that. I don't want any more fire right now. I feel like I want some water, right? I don't want to sing that song. I feel like sometimes life just can, 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 be fire, right? I don't want any more. Can I admit that without you judging me? That's not a good enough pastor. Oh, pastor, you should want more fire. I, I want to be more fired up. I don't want anything else burning in my life right now, right? And I've just felt this, this, this challenge uh, in this time just to, just to find peace. Anybody ever deal with that? And it was in my prayer time this week that um, I had an amazing experience with God and I wanna share it with you. My, my message this week, because of the things I was dealing with, um, God gave me my message in a very different way. Normally, I'll spend 15 to 20 hours a week studying and researching and planning and preparing and, and, and just cultivating a message. This week, the things I was dealing with were so chaotic that I was just so desperate. And, and the beauty of it is this, the Lord showed me many years ago that you're his kids and he'll never let you down. And as long as I position myself, I, I don't have to feel the pressure to feed his kids. He's going to feed you right? And, and, and so that is a relief to me that I know. And so I, and I have a peace, but at the same time, I, I know that there are different people that come in and some people, you're my friends and you're like, rah, rah, let's go. And I could lay a goose egg up here one day and you'll be like, it's all right. He, he had a bad day. We'll come back next week. Other people are maybe sitting out there going, this better be good. <laughs> got one shot preacher. 
you know? And, it, and it, it, you know, it's one of those things where I've had to learn and the Lord brought me through a season where I used to preach from a place of insecurity and really hope that you would like it. And then the Lord brought me into a place where he gave me the confidence to say whatever he told me to say, and I don't care if you like it. Because I, I, I'm supposed to challenge you. I'm not supposed to make you feel good all the time. The Bible says in the last days that the people will have itching ears and they'll want the preacher to say whatever they want him to say. And that's a bad thing. My job isn't to say what you want me to say and to give you, you know, chocolate fudge sundaes every single week. I, sometimes you need a little Brussels sprouts, but my God, I'll try to season it up, make it Asian style at least, put some red chili on it or something. You know, I mean, we can make it taste good, hopefully, but we got to get the good stuff in us. Amen. So in this specific uh, season, and this is my, this is how, and I'm, I'm sharing some personal things with you, and I'm not sharing it with you in any way, shape, or form to try to prop myself up or anything like that. Any of you that know me and are my friends know I'm a very, I'm a very fallible person. I need Jesus just as much as anybody else. Um, I, I, you know, I need, I need Jesus, right? I ask forgiveness all the time because I mess up all the time. And I, I tried to not be a pastor. I begged him not to make me be a pastor. He wouldn't let me off the hook. Jennifer tried not to marry. The guy she broke up with before me was going to be a pastor. And she said, nope. <laughs> broke up with him. He was good looking too. He wasn't like me or nothing, but he was a good looking dude. But, but... He wanted to be a pastor, and she said, I will never marry a pastor. And, she, and I'm like, I will never be a pastor. And four and a half years later, her mom's like, you know, you should be a pastor. I'm like, really? And God shifted things, and next thing you know, here we are, 23 years. 23 years. Can I, t can I, can I help you understand how psycho it was for me this week? For us? We forgot it was our 28th wedding anniversary. We both forgot. I didn't even get in trouble because she forgot. It was so psycho. And we're like, happy anniversary. Did you give me the same thing I got you? Nothing? Crud? Okay. Maybe we'll have a burger somewhere, something at some point. It's just been bananas. And, and the beautiful thing, what I've learned from God is that when I'm weak, then he's strong. His strength is perfected in my weakness. See, I, I was a very, very professional performance Christian for many, many years. My, my personality is to perform. My, I, I'm a competitor. I, I want to be, I, I mean, I'm literally, I'm like, I'll, I'll be a better Christian than him. You know, I'm, I'm competitive. And, and I made the mistake early on of being competitive with my spirituality. I was going to give more. I was going to serve more. I was going to worship more. I was going to be, if God, I'm going to be God's best. I'm going to be, you got lots of kids, God, but I'm going to be your favorite because I'm going to do more than that slacker over there. That was my mentality. And I thought that because of how good I was, that I could somehow twist God's arm behind his back and make him do what I wanted him to do. And that's not how it works. And so when my life spun completely out of control and I was losing my mind and far out uh, in left field after going through some tremendous suffering and pain in our lives, I, I had... I had completely swung the opposite direction because I was living this way and I was doing so good and I was abstaining from everything and I was, I was being such a good Christian. And then 
The stuff hit the fan in my life and my life turned into a disaster. And in my heart, I said, why am I trying so hard if it doesn't even matter? And I swung all the way over here and I was living a life that wasn't pure and it wasn't right and it wasn't holy and it wasn't good. And you know what God did? He met me right there. And he loved me right there. And he drew me close right there and he showed me that it was never about my performance, not once. Me being right in his eyes had one component, my faith in Jesus Christ alone. Wasn't about how good I did and how well I performed and how many verses I memorized and how big my tithe was. It didn't, it wasn't, my acceptance from him was not about that. He loved me no matter what. And he helped me to come back to a full circle position of recognizing that I'm accepted no matter what, but he's got great things for me to do and accomplish, and he's got blessing and things he wants to release to me that he can only release to me if I reach a certain level of maturity. It's not about performance. It's about maturity so that he can trust me. There are things you wouldn't trust your kids with at a certain age of their life. You don't hand your five-year-old a chef's knife. You might hand him a butter knife but not a chef's knife. At some point in time, they grow up and you begin to teach them how to use things that could harm them at an earlier stage, might still harm them if they're not careful, but they learn how to use something at a time when they are mature enough. Does that make sense? I'm not gonna give my 16-year-old daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, she wants a $30,000, $40,000 car when she's 16. And I say, no, with other words in front of it. I, no, absolutely not. Other words behind it too, not church words. I'm like, there's no way. I would never trust you and you will certainly not be driving my car. You will get a piece of junk that you can run into stuff because that's what 16-year-olds do. Not giving you something that is gonna be a big problem. You, you get an Oldsmobile from 1986. Don't tell her that, she's in another room. Not driving my car. But it was in that place of desperation that God taught me I could count on him and I could trust him and that when I'm weak, then he's strong. When I'm poor, then he's rich. When I'm unrighteous, he's righteous. He's my righteousness. When I'm unfaithful, scripture says he remains faithful because he cannot be unfaithful to who he is. He's just faithful. Amen. He's good. So in my prayer time, I, I write my prayers. I, I pray lots of ways. I pray in the Holy Spirit. I sing songs. I worship. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I pray for people. I pray lots of different ways. But my favorite and the most cathartic or healing thing, therapeutic for me, is I'm a prayer journaler. I've done this now for over 20 years, probably 21 years of my life. I have been consistently journaling and writing my prayers out to God. I write them like a love letter. I write them like a worship song. Sometimes I write them like a cry for help. I write them like a therapy session. I, I, I pour everything out to God. Obviously, he already knows what I'm dealing with, but there's something so healing in me saying it, of me putting it on pen and paper, of me being completely vulnerable to him. And I've learned that after I express my heart to him, that the best thing I can do is ask him to speak.
by practicing this discipline of asking him to speak and waiting on him. Literally, I've learned how to have conversations with God. And so I'm gonna share a little bit of a conversation that I had with God. Uh, I'm just gonna share God's end of it, my end of it. I was thanking him for my family. I was praying for my children. I was um, committing my life to him and committing my family to him and committing our futures to him. And, and then I waited and I asked him to speak to me. And, and the last thing I said is, God, I'm, I've been so stressed. I've been dealing with so much. I really need your help. I need you to tell me what you wanna say to your kids. And he opened up and he literally, in, a, in, in two paragraphs, he gave me the entire message for today in a span of about 45 seconds, not, not 45 minutes, not, not 20 hours. In 45 seconds, he gave me the entire message directly from his mouth, directly from his heart to yours. Why am I telling you this? Because I've already told you I'm a bonehead. And if, if a bonehead from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, can learn how to cultivate a relationship with the creator of the universe and have conversations with the God of all gods, the king of all kings, so can you. And I wanna provoke you to hunger for more and not to be satisfied. It's not my job to create a church of people that are, um, codependent on me. My job is to create a church of people that hear God for himself and they learn to be mighty warriors for the kingdom and we're all in this together and we're healthy and we're strong and we're powerful. We're a force of nature. Guys, I'm telling you, this is the smallest our church will ever be. God has thousands of people coming to this church. I'm promising you. He has thousands of people that he wants to see saved and he wants to see them saved through you. He wants to use your influence. He wants to use your voice. He wants to use your words that he puts inside of your heart. God wants to use you to save this city, to save this county, to save this region. He has big things in store for us. And it's not going to work if it's just a few people trying to be spiritual and other people hoping they get a good word every once in a while. We all have to be hungry for him. Amen. We all have to be pursuing him each at our own levels as we grow. So this is my journal entry from September 20th, two days before I fought my, forgot my anniversary. He says this to me every time, every time he, every time he talks to me, he opens the same way. It's so beautiful to me. He says, Joel, my son, I love you. Instantly in that moment, my heart is so full because I feel the love of my father. I've learned to recognize his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they will not follow another are you his sheep? Are you? Because if you are, then you do hear his voice. Most Christians feel like they don't. They excuse it away. But if you're his sheep, you do hear his voice. You just gotta learn how to tune into it. You gotta learn how to recognize it. You have to learn how to discern it. But I promise you, your father wants to talk to you. He loves you. This is what he says. He gives me the whole message today. He says, I am the God of abundance. 
I am the owner of all. I have no lack. And for those who live in me, there is fullness of joy. I am the God of multiplication. I am a multiplier. I only divide evil from good and true from false. When I separate, it is only for my future multiplications. My heart for my children is to pour out good gifts, to see them flourish in my hand and in my courts. I love to multiply them as they show themselves faithful and ready. I am the God of elevation, he says. The requirement to my promotion is total trust and faith in who I am. When I see my children tap into trust in me and live in my nature of faith, my heart swells, my hands open, and my arms spread wide. I love releasing blessing to my children. It is my greatest joy to watch my family thrive. Only they hold back the level and the limit and limit the flow of my blessing. As I watch them pass the test of trust, my heart fills with joy. And then he said this, they are the X factor in my multiplication equation. X times 30, X times 60, X times 100. I am the multiplier. Only put me to the test and trust me in this tithe of your life. Watch if I will not pour out on you a blessing you cannot contain. I love to open my windows of heaven, but I can't pour out destruction on those who do not trust me or are not ready. I must protect my children from themselves and their own self-harm. So when I withhold, it is only in faith as I wait for them to pass the test of trust. Oh, there's a lot there, isn't there? You, um, you can have a copy of that. I'm gonna share that with you. If you want that, shoot an email to info at oakschurch.com, um, wherever you are in the world right now, and we'll forward you a copy of that. You can keep it for yourself and, 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 and use it however you wanna use it. But to me, I build my life on the words God says to me. I, I literally, I build my life. I don't make a decision in this church without God speaking to me about it. I don't make a decision in my family. I don't make a decision with my kids. I, I, I live my life. I build my life on, I know I've heard God and that's what gives me confidence. I, you, you may see me, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, as someone that walks in extreme confidence. The confidence is because I know I've heard him. That's it. I know I've heard him. And I know his word's true. And I know he has declared that not a single word that comes out of his mouth will fall to the ground, but it will proceed to accomplish exactly what he put in motion to accomplish. That's what the Bible says. So if he said it, he'll do it. Amen? So let's talk about these things. The God of abundance. The God of abundance, I love this passage. Deuteronomy 28, 12. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens to give the rain to your land in season and bless all the works of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. 
And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. Watch. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and carefully observe them. He's the God of abundance. But there's an if. Watch this. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He is the God of abundance. We'll read the rest of that passage here at the end of the service, and you'll see the connection to how you tap into that God of abundance. Jesus speaking about the devil, he said, the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only agenda. The enemy's MO is to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that you see that's being released into our nation, the demonic agenda to steal, kill, and destroy, it's from the devil. It's from the enemy. It's not about some party or some other party. It's a demonic agenda, and we need to recognize our enemy is not a human. Our enemy is a spirit. Next week, we start our new series on prayer, specifically on spiritual warfare. It's going to be a deep series. We're going to teach you how to pray. We're going to teach you how to war. We're going to teach you how to fight in the spirit. Because I'm telling you, our nation, if the church does not arise, is in significant trouble. And the church needs to pray. Man, you want to go be an activist? Be an activist. But pray. You want to go to a rally, rally, but pray. This has to be a spiritual thing. It has to be a spiritual thing. We do not win with our attitude. We win with our prophetic prayers and declarations. That's what we war with. That's what we fight with. Enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. He is a God of abundance. He has no lack. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He holds the whole world in his hands. Everything that you think is yours is not yours. It's his. You're a babysitter of his. It's his house. It's his cars. It's his bank account. It's his children. Listen, that wife sitting next to you, that's his daughter. That husband sitting next to you, that's his son. Oh, you should watch how you talk to God's kids. Because God is the defender of his kids. You ever thought about that before? Oh, there was a time I was praying, I was ranting to God, I was angry about something. And he's like, watch your mouth, boy. That's my daughter. Oh, okay. I mean, get that. Let that sink in. If someone messes with my kid, oh, I will not be Pastor Joel that day. I might be convict Joel by the end of it. You don't mess with my kid. God said, anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. How are you speaking to God's kids inside your own house? I'm gonna let that rest.
He said, I am the God of multiplication. I'm the God of multiplication. I love this. Genesis chapter 22. This is the passage where Abraham has just taken Isaac up to the top of the mountain to obey God and sacrifice his son for God. Something God never was actually going to have him go through with, but he wanted to see. See, everything God does, he has to have a legal precedent for. And God wanted to redeem the entire world. He wanted to redeem the entire world by sacrificing his own son, Jesus. But it wouldn't be legal or just or fair if he didn't find someone else that had the faith to step into that on earth. He never intended for the sacrifice to happen, but he wanted to see Abraham's heart and willingness and devotion. Because if we're not careful, the promise of God and the blessing of God can become an idol in our lives, and we start worshiping the gift and the promise and the talent or the ability or the business or the spouse or the children instead of worshiping the one that gave it all to us in the first place. So in the moment... God stops his hand. He says, no, look, there's a, there's a ram over there in the bush. Grab it and sacrifice it. And so Abraham names him Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. God made a covenant with Abraham that day. And Abraham said, you are my provider. And watch what God says. Genesis twenty two sixteen. By myself I had sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. What an unbelievable blessing. But I want you to see this in this passage. He says, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. He's saying, barak, barak. He's literally saying, I am in my nature blessing. This is who I am. This is what I do. And there will be a perpetual state of blessing in your life because of your obedience to me. Multiplying, I will multiply you. I am multiplication. I am the multiplier. And in your life, you will receive a perpetual state of multiplication because you have obeyed me. I thought somebody was going to wave a hanky. You guys let me down. <laughs> Everything God touches. Jesus touched six empty pots, had them filled with water, turned them into the best Galilean wine. Galilee is the Napa Valley of Israel, if you didn't know that. The finest wine in all of Israel. Incredible stuff. And Jesus blew their minds with a vintage they had never tasted before. Disciples had some empty nets. They'd been out all, long, all night long. Jesus says, cast it over on the other side of the boat. And Peter's like, listen, Rabbi, I know you know the Bible, but you don't know fishing. You know, this is my business. Oh, this is interesting too, right? Because, because a lot of business people want to make sure that they got their nose all up in the pastor's business, but they don't want the pastor's nose in theirs. Oh my goodness, I could <laughs> preach that for a while. <laughs> yeah. 
He said, but at your word, Jesus, I'll do it. And Jesus multiplied those empty nets and a catch came into those nets supernaturally that was so heavy, the nets began to break and the boats began to sink. Oh, he's a multiplier. Little boy had a lunchbox, Captain D's. Y'all remember Captain D's? Little fish sticks and hush puppies, man. God, Jesus turned that into a meal that fed thousands and thousands of people. It's a multiplier. That's just who he is. Multiplying, I will multiply you. He's the God of elevation. Psalm 75, this is so crazy. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Promotion, elevation, exaltation, all comes from God. All comes from God. There's a purpose in who he elevates. There's a purpose in who he promotes. We don't understand it all the time. We all of a sudden have a governmental leader that we don't like. We don't understand the purpose. God, what are you doing? Because elevation comes from him. Promotion comes from him. Authority comes from him. Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, you only have authority because my father gave it to you. Caesar only has authority because my father let him. It's a revelation of authority. First Peter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt or elevate you in due season. God is an elevator. That's just who he is. Look at every story in the Bible of people that devoted their lives to him. They were here and then they were here. Every single one of them. Noah was the crazy guy out there talking to himself, building a boat, bringing a bunch of animals around. Everyone thought he was a nut job. Next thing you know, he's the father of the whole world. God elevated him and built the entire future uh, lineage of the world through him. Abraham was a guy that went on a, a journey not even knowing where he was going, just grabbed his family and his stuff and took off walking. God says, go on this journey and into the land that I will show you. Just start walking. I will show it to you when I'm ready. Moses was murdering people and then on the run as a as a refugee for 40 years and God called him and made him the leader of the whole nation, he elevated him to a position of, of priest and, and almost king of ruler and judge of that land. Every single person in the scriptures, from Saul to David, David, oh my gosh, David, theologians believe, was his dad, his own dad, the reason that, he des that David talked about his brothers despised him and his father despised him was because the Jewish tradition is that uh, Jacob's, or I'm sorry, David's dad believed that he was the child of an affair, didn't think he was his own legitimate son, and that's why he made him a shepherd boy, hoping that the, that the wolves or the bears or the lions would eat him and rid his family of the shame of an illegitimate child and his wife was pure hearted. It was his son the whole time, but he was shunned. He was rejected. He was pushed away. He was talked down to. He wasn't even invited to dinner. And God said, I will make your name great like the greatest men on the planet. I'll make you famous, David. They'll sing songs about you. Why? Because David had a heart after God's own heart. David learned the secret of putting God first. 
in everything. Did he mess up? Oh yeah, bad. Probably worse than any of you have ever messed up. Anybody kill anybody lately? Stole their wife and then killed him. Anybody, anybody compete with that one? Don't think so. I mean, I don't want to put it past anybody. I mean, somebody could. I mean, there's crazy folk out there, right? But I doubt it. But he had a heart after God's own heart. You want to know, you want to know the secret to David's success? The secret that changed my life forever? David, when he figured out he was wrong, he repented fast and he repented hard. You know what he did next? He got back up. Because the Bible says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Your righteousness is not about you never messing up. Your righteousness is not about you never falling. Your righteousness is about you get up. You're get up kind of people. You, you don't let a mistake get you down. Yeah, I fell. Yeah, I messed up. But that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm a son of, of God. I, I, I am righteous because he made me righteous. I fell down, but I'm getting up. I'm dusting off, and I'm getting back on the horse, right? Come on, that's, what, that's, what the, that's who we are. We're get up people. Every single person. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. God elevated Jesus. Peter, James, John, all of these disciples, they were rejected by the rabbis. They were told, you're not good enough to be a spiritual leader. Go and be about your father's business. And they went to their homes and they joined the, fa the family business and they were fishermen. They were common blue collar folk. And Jesus came to them and said, come follow me. And he elevated them to be what would later describe, be described in scripture as the ones who turned the whole world upside down. Oh, he's the God of elevation. But I got to tell you that every covenant has conditions. My wife and I have a covenant. We made vows. It has conditions. It's an agreement. She has a part to play. I have a part to play. We're partners. We're teammates. A team doesn't work with selfish people. When you bought that car and made an agreement with the bank, you made a covenant with the bank. It's an agreement. You getting to drive that beautiful Lexus has conditions. Try not meeting your end and see how long you get to keep it. When you bought that house and you uh, qualified for a mortgage, a mortgage, the same root word as mortuary. Do you know the word mortgage means death grip? Do you know that's the actual meaning of the word? Oh, you formed a covenant, all right. Sold your soul. Got a death grip on you now. Think about that. It's conditional. You quit making those payments. That house goes away. It's conditional. Your relationship with God, and this, I want you to hear me very, very, very well. The only condition for your salvation is faith in Jesus Christ alone. Your opportunity for heaven, your opportunity to be saved, your opportunity to be healed, your opportunity to be restored, your opportunity, and even basic blessing of being in the house of God. All of that is free of charge. It costs you one thing, faith. 
But if you want to step into the level of supernatural abundance, of supernatural multiplication and supernatural elevation, you want to get past the entry level of I'm just in the family, but I'm the blackest sheep. You want to get to the place? There's conditions to go to the next level where God can trust you enough to pour out his multiplication and abundance on you because he knows if you're not ready, it will destroy you. You might be stuck in the place you're stuck financially because you have not learned the financial literacy to handle the next level. And you can be mad at God all you want. He's over there going, I'm waiting on you, buddy. You're stuck in kindergarten using uh, Velcro shoes. Learn to tie your shoes, for crying out loud. So I can bump you up a notch. You want to go on to third grade? Get your, get your times tables down, for crying out loud. You got to learn the stuff you got to learn so I can promote you to fourth grade. It's common sense, guys. And let me help you. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is not a welfare state. When Jesus described the kingdom, this is how he described it. The master comes and, and, and he's like, I'm going to go away for a while, but I'm going to give to my servants. This guy, he can handle one talent. I'll give him one. This guy over here, he can handle two. I'll give him two. This guy over here, he can handle five. I'll give him five. You manage my stuff while I'm gone. Each of them got opportunity, but their opportunity was different. Each of them had the same basic job, but their opportunity was different based on the level of their own ability. And so the guy with one could sit around and go, that's not fair. He got two and I only got one. Well, if you figure out how this thing works and you do it right, your one can be two and then your two can be four and then your four can be eight and then your eight can be 16. If you follow the system, if you step into the blessing, if you understand God trusted you enough to give you one, if you understand that a talent was a bag of gold, it was a bag of gold. It was not a small thing. It was a serious thing. But that person only had the ability to handle one bag. This guy could handle two. This guy could handle five. The guy with five, he could have been the one to have the bad attitude. Bury it in the dirt. I'm good. And what would have happened is God would have come back and said, you wicked servant. I'm taking from you all five. This guy with one, dude, he turned it into 16. I'm taking what you have and I'm giving it to the guy with the most. God blesses people that will obey him. And they'll follow him into certain things. And they won't sit there and make excuses about why they don't have and what all goes wrong to them. And wah, wah, wah. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. God has given you an opportunity. You do have talent. You do have something. You may have come from a way better family than mine. You may have had much more opportunity than me. Go with it. You may have had less. Go with it. Build from there. Build from there. 
You can take that one and multiply it if you tap into the principles of the multiplier. Multiplying, I will multiply you. It's about the principles of the kingdom and it's about obedience. Jesus says, why does my father love me? Because I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Israel Houghton wrote a song years ago. The whole church all around the world was singing it. I am a friend of God. You call me friend. Get your tambourine going. I'm a friend of God. Let me tell you, God is a friend to you, but there are a lot of Christians that aren't a good friend to God. Jesus said, you are my friend if you obey me. It is a conditional friendship. You want to go from servant to friend? You want to know the master's business? Obedience. Tyler mentioned a verse earlier while he was receiving the offering. Don't worry, we only received the offering once at Oaks Church. There's not another one. So if you skipped it, you skipped it. That's fine. You know, it's between you and the Lord. But, but the verse is, listen, and, and come on, everyone knows it's every preacher's favorite verse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and see that I will not rebuke the devourer on your behalf. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you which you cannot contain. Hallelujah. Right, come on, it's a preacher's verse. It's a preacher's verse, man. Love that verse. But what we don't understand and what most Christians have never done is read the entire book of Malachi. They've heard that one verse and when they hear that verse, they grip their purse. <laughs> Preacher just wants my money. Let me tell you something. The entire book of Malachi, scholars believe it was a letter of divorce to Israel. You read this book, it's terrifying. The prophet Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament that wrote a book in the Old Testament, the very last one, and it's a written rebuke to the people of God, to the priests who ran the whole spiritual organization, and to the entire nation because of their disobedience to him. And he literally, after he wrote that book and declared that word, God shut up for 400 years. 400 years. No visions, no prophecy, no new words, no nothing. 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. Not a single inspired work. That's why in our Bible, 66 books are included and a whole bunch of other books aren't. It's because those other books were written in the 400-year gap, most of them, when God wasn't speaking. So all they are is regurgitation of another book or somebody's historical opinion. Doesn't mean there's no value, but it's not the inspired breath of God. It's different. God wasn't speaking then. He shut up for 400 years. Come on, I've had the silent treatment a few times in 28 years. But it normally lasts about 48 hours, not 400 years. What was he so mad about? 
Malachi chapter one, the, almost the entire thing is about the people of God not worshiping him the way he wanted to be worshiped. Bringing him the offering that they wanted to bring. Bringing him the sacrifice that they wanted to bring. God is very specific. He wants to be first. He makes specific requirements. He makes specific recommendations uh, for you if you want the fullness of his abundance and elevation and multiplication. So he said, you have dishonored me and you have defiled my altar because you brought me blemished sacrifices and foul sacrifices. You have defiled me. I asked to be worshiped this way. I asked to receive this type of offering. And you didn't give me what I wanted. You gave me what you wanted. And so this is what it says in Malachi chapter one, verse 14 but cursed, you never heard this verse. You only hear three, uh, chapter three, verse 10. That's all you've ever heard. This is the first chapter, chapter one, verse 16. But cursed is the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. What does that mean? God asked for the first male born uh, of each uh, specific flock, the first male uh, uh, offspring. It was the tithe. It was the first fruit. And what they were doing is saying, I've got this first one and this is the best one, but I don't want to give this one to God. I'll give him this cruddy one. I'll flip him a, a tip. I don't want to tithe. I want a tip. I'll give him what I feel like giving him. And God said, cursed be the deceiver. Wow. Chapter two, the whole thing is about how ticked God is at the preacher's at the priests. And the number one thing he talks to them about is that they would sit at the altar and weep because they didn't want to burn up what was going to be sacrificed to him. They wanted it for themselves. Oh, you don't think that happens till today? It's the number one. Come on, it's the number one offense that the world has is when they look at somebody who's a preacher and looks like they're doing good. Oh, yeah, preacher just wants my money. You can be a businessman and drive a $150,000 car, and when you pull up to a business meeting, they're like, man, he must be a good businessman. But not me. I pull up to a business or to a church meeting in a $150,000 Maserati, and someone says, he must be a bad pastor. Am I right? Which is why I have a side business and make plenty of money over there, so you can't tell me what to do. If I drive a nice car, I got other income, all right? So thank you for that. But the whole deal, come on, guys. It's, there's a real situation here. This is why we're so open with our finances. Ask anything you want. You want to see a full report? We'll send you the full report. We got nothing to hide. I've got layer after layer after layer of accountability. I don't touch the money because I'm scared of God. Dude, if you read Chapter two of Malachi, it's terrifying how he talks to these priests that are supposed to be spiritual leaders, but they're dark in their hearts and they're defiling the temple and they're doing horrific things. I'm literally reading that going, oh my God, Father, protect me because I've watched people fall and stuff. And so I have accountability and I have protection and I submit myself to leaders because I'm afraid of God. 
And then we get to Malachi chapter three. I already quoted the other part about bringing the whole tithe in. But I want to I read you this part. This is verse six. For I am the Lord and I do not change. I do not change. Listen, the same thing God wanted back then, he wants today. It may come in a different form because we don't live in an agrarian society. Most of you don't have flocks and herds. Most of you don't have a, a harvest that come in the form of grain. You have a harvest that comes in the form of a paycheck or a dividend or a, or, or a bonus or a whatever. But God wants the same thing he always wanted. He wants your heart. It's really not about the money. It's about your heart. Because he declared where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He wants your heart, guys. And that's why, listen, this whole concept, that's why I talked last week. God mentioned it in the words he said to me. It's the tithe of your whole life. He doesn't just want the money part. He wants everything. He wants everything. He wants you to tithe your time to him. He wants you to tithe your service in his house. He wants you to tithe your finances in his house. That's what he wants. He wants your business to be his business. He wants your business dedicated to him. He wants your children dedicated to him. He wants your education dedicated to him. He wants your retirement dedicated to him. He wants everything dedicated to him. He wants it all. He wants to be in first place. But his promise is if you'll put me in first place, I'll open my windows of heaven and I'll pour out on you you can't contain and I'll go above that and I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll keep the pests from coming and stealing. Come on, it's a promise. But you want to know one of the greatest things about this whole covenant is, this whole thing that has conditions, is that God said specifically that you are the one that controls the X factor. You get to control the level of your blessing. You get to control the level of your abundance, of your multiplication, of your elevation. You get to control it. You want to multiply your intimacy with God and hear his voice? Multiply the level of time you spend in his presence in prayer and in worship. And watch that level of your life explode. You, you, want, you want to multiply uh, your, your abilities, your natural abilities? Multiply the level of time you spend serving his people, serving his house, giving yourself to others, and watch blessing come in. Jennifer talks all the time, Joel, you, got, you have so many friends that bless you. She said yesterday, it's because you bless so many people. You're, and I, I'm telling you guys, I'm not saying this to brag. I love to love people. I love to love people. It fuels me to love people. And I want to encourage you, man. You want to be rich in friends? Be the biggest giver to people. Just be so abundantly full of love and mercy and grace and giving and giving and giving and giving. Last verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and we'll close. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You control the X factor. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, if you can't be cheerful about it, if you can't be happy about it, you might as well just keep it in your pocket. Be grumpy and miserable. If you're gonna do it, do it happy. Do it happy. He loves a cheerful giver, 
I like any kind of giver. He likes a cheerful giver. <laughs> it says, and God is able. See, here's the condition. Here's the condition. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor and righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. I want you to see the priority. God's priority is not bread for food. God's priority is seed for the sower. I need, I need, I need, I need does not motivate God. That's not his priority because that's not his nature. And I told you last week, this entire thing is about you transforming into his nature. So his priority is, ah, oh, there's a sower. More seed, more seed, more seed and bread for food. Oh, he'll meet the need. He'll need, need, need. But does anybody here want to just barely get by on your needs? The promise is that you will lend to many nations. The promise is that you will multiply and be elevated. And, and, and he wants to do that for you. That's the promise. But he can't do it if you don't obey. Amen? Amen? Come on. He's good. He's good. Father, I thank you for your goodness. God, I ask you to give your people a revelation. Help them to start wherever they are. Father, I know everyone's different, and my God, this economy has been rough on so many people. It's stressful, it's hard. But Father, let us at Oaks Church not be people that make excuses, but let us be people that do everything within our power at whatever level we're at. Whatever level we're at and then teach us how to grow and teach us how to push the envelope and teach us how to stretch, teach us how to go to the next level. But Father, wherever we're at, Father, help the people of Oaks Church to live up to what they've already attained and to walk in the measure of revelation you've given them and to step into this, this idea, this concept, this truth, this principle of the tithe of their life. The tithe of their life. God, you want the 10th of their life, every single part. Father, release that revelation and bless your people abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.